This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you by the Lerner Foundation and listeners like you. This is WMPG. I'm Ann Hallward, a psychiatrist in Portland, Maine, and this is Safe Space Radio, a show about the subjects we would struggle with less if we could talk about them more. Today's show is part two of my conversation with Gisad Tanamuk, who is Wampanoag from the community of Mashpee, located on Cape Cod. He's a family member of the Otter Longhouse and married with three children and three grandchildren. He was one of the five commissioners of the Maine Wabanaki State Child Welfare Truth and Reconciliation Commission and is an adjunct instructor and lecturer with the Native American Studies and the Peace and Reconciliation Programs on the Orono campus of the University of Maine. As we've returned this fall to conversations about the Maine Wabanaki Truth and Reconciliation Commission, it's become clear that any serious discussion of the issue of child removal inevitably leads to discussions of other larger issues facing the tribes in Maine. And so in my conversation with Gesantanamuk, which we'll hear part two of today, we talk about a lot of things not specifically related to the TRC, but essential for understanding the problems they're trying to solve. At the end of last week's show, Gisantanamuk explained that the United Nations affirmed the treaties between the United States and the tribes as international treaties between sovereign nations, and that for the American government and the state government here in Maine to recognize this would entail a major shift in the relationship. And that's where we're going to pick up my conversation with Gisantanamuk. So if we're talking about changing the relationship between the Indian nations here in Maine and the, and the government say, what are the changes that you specifically would like to see happen? Well, basically you have to deal with another sovereign. You know, dealing with another sovereign means you have no control. That's a, a, a very scary proposition if you're coming from, you know, if I'm coming from being the state, um, coming from a, um, an experience where I have all the control and I call the shots, and, you know, and I can do whatever I want to do, and, and you're subject to my will kind of thing. Now now if we change it to where it equals, that everything, that, anything that I want to do, um, particularly on your land, <laughs> with your resources, and I have to, it's not just even consult, we have to work together on that. Well, I, don't, I no longer have e- easy access to that. And maybe there's some things that we have to negotiate, you know, and maybe there's some things that you just don't want done in your territory. You know, I have to recognize your territory. Um, all throughout Wabanaki country, right? And we're talking about you know, the present Wabanaki Confederacy, the present territory, the expansive territory, you know, is uh, Maine. New Hampshire, Vermont, Eastern Quebec, all the Maritimes. None of those lands were ever ceded. Nobody ever gave away any land or any access, their access to the land. It still belongs to the Wabanaki by treaty. The treaties recognize that this is Indian land. And so the Land Claim Settlement Act didn't undo that? Um... I don't want to get too much in trouble to 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 um, to talk about the decision of the Wabanaki in in settling for this, but you know the back the backdrop to this the context of the Settlement Act. There was this preparation 
this gearing up this momentum to wipe out the land claim, even though the courts have said this is this is viable and we have to deal with this in an honorable way within the legal constructs of the Constitution. Um, so there was pressure on the people to settle the matter out of court. Right? Um, and in that time frame, they didn't have enough time to really fundamentally study every aspect of what was being proposed, you know. So it was kind of a rush, you know. I was present on the Penobscot Reservation with some of the Penobscot people who had invited a separate legal counsel to advise them legally about what this was about um, because the community didn't have time to read a very thick um, proposal. Um, the, the tribal representatives were pushing for this out-of-court settlement and, uh, and some of the members of the community wanted a separate legal advice coming from them. And I happened to be present at that time. You know, so, you know, we're dealing with political and illegal duress. People signing anything under duress makes it void, whatever they're signing kind of thing, you know. But that's another issue. You know, the people felt they had to do whatever they can to create this. A lot of gray areas, you know. So... It was agreed by the by the state and by representatives of the Penobscot, Passamaquoddy, and other Wabanaki nations to create this sort of state tribal entity. And the state tribal entity, I think it's the um, main state Indian tribal commission. Is Mixic? Mixic. Mm -hmm. And their whole design was to make recommendations and on those gray matters. And, and there was a lot of them. And they were very fundamental about what the relationship would be, what the sovereignty would be, kind of thing, a lot of gray areas, you know. Uh, and since, I think, 1980, whenever this commission was created, the state has yet to honor any recommendations coming out of that. You know, the state ignores it. That's why we're in that, that's why they're in that mess right now. The mess meaning that the representatives have walked out, is that what you mean, from the well, state that, legislature? That's, that's part of it, you know. But but since 1980, every matter that the state has opposed the tribal the tribal nations in this, you know, um, have refused to, to to respect tribal sovereignty. One of the the leading recommendations from the commission, from the TRC, where you have to respect the tribal sovereignty. You know, um, the state refuses to honor that. So we have these mindless sources of confrontation. I know that you are a dad and a grandfather and that you have a very long-range view for wanting to work today to ensure their quality of life for your children, grandchildren, but also for the otters and for the, world, the natural world around you, for your land. And yours. And mine, yes, ours. And so... Do you struggle with despair? Sometimes, yeah. Um, but, you know, in spite of all this, I'm, um, I'm an et eternal optimist. And, and one of the sources of that optimism is that 
humanity is not in control. And if we align ourselves with the way that life moves on the earth, you know, um, then we're in the power. And when we really think about it, if we align ourselves with earth, we align ourselves with the universe, the energy of that, you know, there's only good in the universe. So I want to understand this better. When you when we align ourselves with the energy that life is moving on the earth, tell me more what you mean. Um, well, there's, there's a fundamental concept in, in my culture. I suspect it's in everybody's culture. Um, and it's called Nayantaquat. And, and as it was revealed to me initially over 40 years ago, uh, when my teachers were telling me about Nayantaquat, and I thought about this for a long, long time. The basic construct of Nyantagrad, as I understand it now, is the great balance. Right? Uh, the life above our heads and the life below our feet. And, and our fundamental task is to be the balance between those two realms. Right? The life above our head could be anything. could be the universe. could be the cosmos. The life below our feet is earth. Between those two realms, everything is interconnected. You know, human beings are not the only species. You know, um, and that's the real source of optimism for me. As long as the earth is moving, as long as the earth is... In fact, we can't destroy the earth. We can make it possible for the earth not to support us anymore. That's as much mischief we can make. But the earth will continue, you know. The, uh, the Penobscot River will heal itself of all the toxins in there if we let it, if we stop intervening, you know. And that's what I mean. If we align ourselves to the natural process of life, instead of swimming against it, we work with it. And I, I, what I hear you saying in some ways is trust it. Trust it that life will. There's, there's absolutely no separation of us with the rest of life. We have this expression called Manitou. Manitou, if you were to ask anybody in my community, explain to me Manitou, they might give you a short answer while we're talking about God, spirit being, Manitou. You know, but that's not what Manitou is talking about. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a good first response, but what, what really is the nature of God? Well, God is a um, is a is a, a European concept. We understand that, but basically, the the etymology of God is that which is invoked, what we call out. You know, to uh, the the essence of Manitou is aligned with Nyantaquat. You know, and and basically, what Manitou is talking about is that there is a consciousness out there. It's alive. It's a consciousness. We have a little bit of that consciousness, you know, and that energetic force dwells in everything, even in this, these walls, you know, everything that's alive, anything that's there in existence. I had this epiphany. My, my, uh, before my daughter delivered her, her little one in, uh, in April, you know, still snow on the ground, you know, and I was out looking at the stars and I was thinking about that little life in my daughter's womb, you know. And as I was looking at, this, at the, the stars, I realized 
that that life in my daughter's womb, that, that little life, that's the universe. That little one is in the universe. And the moment that came into my thought and I was looking at the night sky, I realized that I was looking from within the womb of existence. There, when you see that blackness, you are actually seeing forever. It has no end. You see forever. The North Star is ten lifetimes from where we are right now, and you can see that. And that's just in our own galaxy. And there's billions of galaxies out there. You know? And I was looking in from the womb of existence. I was one of those cells. The same kind of grouping of cells that dwells within a little one. And that's my source of optimism. We can do things to each other, we can hurt each other, all that, those mindless things that we do to each other. But once we make that jump, once we make that direction where we're going to align ourselves to the rest of creation, right, life goes better. So when we talk about Manitou, we bring in, and we live our life in a way that we, we make our life and perfect our life to honor Manitou, to, to honor, as the Buddhists, when they bow, when they bow to you, they're honoring the Manitou in you, you know, the Buddha that's in you, you know. How can, it, how can evil exist in that kind of a construct, in that framework, where you see the great power of life all around us? There's nothing in that that suggests there's evil. You can't go on of, out in the forest or out on the ocean and see evil personified. It doesn't exist. But all you see is, is manifestations and womanifestations <laughs> of life. Life is based on, on the principle of existence. So um, I like to I like to bring Professor Einstein some of his amazing uh, conclusions. The whole nature of existence is energy. You know, energy can't be created; it can't be destroyed. It just is, and that's what life is. You know, we get a chance to experience it in this container. But when the container is done, that life inside of us still continues. You know, it goes back to the rest of existence. We are products of that existence. And that existence is feminine. And that's why the feminine is, is such a foundation of most earth-based cultures. By example, um, there in in uh, in during the, the those fourteen weeks that I have with students in the Native Studies class, you know, I talk about the longhouse, and and with Nyantaquat, the life above our heads and the life below our feet is is a construct we call Katantuit, meaning the Creator's house. You know, so the life above our heads is the roof, the life below our feet is is the floor. And we're in the we're in the Creator's house. So everything that exists between those realms are our relatives. We're connected to everything, right? And it works like that. So I was consulting with Grandma Google, you know, typing out <laughs> Grandma Google, so, mm -hmm. and um, because you know 
we we say that because whenever you wanted to know something, you always we would always go to our grandmother. She's a living encyclopedia. She'll tell you everything, kind of thing. So I'm consulting with Grandma Google. Uh, I wanted to have images that I was going to show in the class about what a longhouse looks like, right? And she gave me exactly what I was looking for. But she also gave me longhouses all throughout the world. Human cultures around the world were based on longhouses. And the longhouses operated the same the way that my longhouse. So you have longhouses in the Middle East, you have longhouses in Asia, you have longhouses in Europe. Stated differently, we only know how to be extended families. So life in the continental United States, so in Canada as well, was a social design to, to disengage the extended family and create nuclear families. Nuclear families cannot survive on its own. But extended families... You learn that once you have children, yeah, how much you need right. people. Well, that's why you have all these institutions that are built around... The design is to take care of the children while you have to go out and work, kind of thing, you know? Um, but so you, so you have... So what constitutes a longhouse in Wampanoag culture and Wabanaki culture is all the people that your mother is related to. Grandma, Grandpa, all the elders, her her aunties, her uncles, her cousins. It's always that way that you move to the to the wife. Right. I went to one of the closing Truth and Reconciliation Commission events here at the Portland Public Library, and at the very end, you were asked to reflect a little bit about the TRC, and your answer surprised me but also really touched me when you spoke about the the great feminine and you spoke about kind of our culture where we are today having made a caricature of masculinity and tell me more what you meant by that and how that connects to the TRC you know part of the, the, the flaw that we see in in state social policy in federal Indian policy was all designed to to change the the life of the people, um, so to remake us in the image of what doesn't work out there for everybody, right? In a in a Wampanoag understanding about the way that life moves, um, we, we often refer to the earth as as the Great Mother, right? Nitimikaho in my language, Nitimikaho. Um, stated differently, and, and this was a, a, a real, a real basic thought was offered to us by uh, Andrea Smith, who is a Cherokee professor, and she reminded us that we're all living on a female planet, and the order of the universe is feminine. There's more of the the feminine in creation. We see it everywhere, you know. Um, so my culture was based on that, you know. Um, and then that that epiphany and looking up at the night sky last April, you know, men don't have wombs, but women do. You know, and that thought came that I was an instrument, I was a, a cell in the uh, in the body of existence, feminine. And what would this? What would our culture? 
what would our life right now in the United States be if we honored women like that? You know, it's it's a historical fact that the United States governance, the body was based on the Iroquois Confederacy. The one thing they left out of that intentionally is that in the Iroquois Confederacy as other as as even the Wabanaki Confederacies, we had two governing councils, men's council and a women's council. You know. What would have happened if if the United States kept the women's council as one of the governing structures? We would think uh, the way that the women's council works, they would have been the Senate. So a Senate full of women in a woman's context, right? Uh, match with the male's context, making decisions together, both sovereign entities, making their decisions, and women have the last say. Right? This country would be really different. The world would be really different. And I, and I submit to you, the world would have continued in the way that the world existed for 32,000 years. 32,000 years, we had no armies. People lived with the land. People were earth-based cultures. It's profound, isn't it? Because then when we think about the TRC, what it's looking at is the way that mother-child bond is broken. Right. And the pain and agony that that creates for everything. For generations to come. And it's interesting that the chemistry of the TRC is predominantly women. That's the first thing that I noticed. Three out of five commissioners were female. We had a female staff. Preponderance of volunteers were female. To me, that that indicated to me that this commission was going to go someplace. <laughs> that gave you hope. It would have been, it, it's, it's successful. The majority of, of the members of REACH, the sister organization that, that worked with the TRC, is predominantly female. And we have, a, we have an understanding that if you want something to work, if you want an idea to work, you could consult with the women. You know, if they think that idea is worth something, they're going to support it, and it'll get done. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank it's you. It's rare to hear these things said by a man. I'm aware of basking in it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being my guest. Thank you, Ian. So if someone... Uh, listening really wants to learn more about your worldview that you're describing. What is a resource that they can turn to? How how can I find out more about this perspective that you're offering? Um, it's nothing written. You know, I've sort of toyed with the idea of writing it. But you know, um, you spend time with the people. You know, spend time with the Wapanaki. You know, because they're connected to that. They might have different terms uh, than the one I use, but we're all connected to the same principles. You know, and the 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 Wabanaki are in the midst of a twenty-year renaissance, reconnecting to their culture. You know, uh, because that was prohibited at one time. But so, you to know. make this really practical, just say I, as a Southern Maine white person really took you seriously and said, okay, this is about connection. This is yeah. about relationship. How would I go about doing that? Well, um, 
I guess we just have to keep in touch. <laughs> <laughs> How lucky for me. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways. Of, I mean, all kinds of possibilities, you know. And I think with this, the, the work of Reach, was who are concentrating on, you know, kind of being that agent that's that's going to monitor and, and promote the recommendations of the TRC, you know, and and I'm, and I'm my intent to work with that too, kind of thing, you know. So there, the possibilities of doing that is one of the storylines is to is is to create allies, kind of thing, and then in the creating of allies, then we get to know something about. What it is that that we need to work with some of the truths, some of the truths that I was sharing with you that come from my culture, um, are truths that existed in your culture. That even fundamentally exist even in the United States, you know, but United States ways of thinking is just so off balance, and they put more emphasis on areas where we shouldn't be putting emphasis on. You know, the political, maybe the economic, and and we and we uh, disclude if that's a word, the social or the cultural. All those elements have to be balanced. And, and in in the worldview that I work with, we don't sit around. At least my ancestors, my ancient grandmas and grandpas didn't sit around the, the council fire talking about native spirituality. We do today. But in those days, we never even thought about spirituality or religion or anything. It was just his. This is the way we are. This is the way we work. You know, even our language, you know, we, we don't have any way in our language of hurting each other. There's no there's no swears, there's no derogatory remarks, there's no slang, because that language is the same language we speak to the Creator with, same language that we, we use in our ceremonies. In fact, our ceremonies is the blueprint of how we live. So spirituality or religion isn't separated from, well, we don't have these little compartments kind of thing. Everything is in the same. It's a whole, it's a whole process. So even what we regard and define as politics is really invoking and enacting the great law of life. It's nothing separate. And it's kind of interesting too for me anyways that those little ones that are born, we know them as the ancient ones. You know. We and we honor them as our little grandmas and our little grandpas. In the first five years of their life, you know, they haven't been corrupted by us yet. So there's amazing things they tell us if we pay attention to what they say, spend any time with them. And, and, and I tell this to my class, that I consider three-year-olds and four-year-olds my intellectual equals. Because they're truth-tellers. They're truth-tellers. And they haven't been corrupted by me yet. Hmm. By you yet. <laughs> So it sounds like if you really want to get involved and meet people and actually befriend, you know, actual Wamanaki people, the best access point is through REACH, is to become trained and being an ally and to get involved in doing this work. Yeah, I think that's right now where we're at. Yeah. I think that's probably the most... The best way to build a relationship. The, the, the quickest way. 
If you like the show and want to stay connected to these issues, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Safe Space Radio. And you can find us on the web at safespaceradio.com. And listen to all of our past shows, including our earlier shows about Wabanaki history, the TRC itself, and the work of breaking silence in order to heal. While you're there, please subscribe to our email list to find out about each week's new show as soon as it's released. My thanks to Gabe Graben for producing the show and to Jim Russell for being our editorial advisor. Coming up next is Speak Freely.